Hello, it's me, Lily, a frog, who lives in a pond and loves to tell stories. This story is a fairy tale out of a book a friend sent me by Storyland Mail. The book is more than 100 years old and it has a red cloth cover. The cover has a picture of a beautiful young woman with a crown of flowers in her hair on it. And she is talking to a tiny little man with a white beard. It's a real book called A Real Queen's fairy tales. It's by the Queen of Romania more than 100 years ago. The real Queen of Romania had a real fairy tale life. Before she was a queen, she was a princess in the Rhine Valley in Germany. I've visited there before. I had to fly there by whooping crane and then I took a train and sailed upriver on a lily pad. The Rhine Valley is full of fairy tale castles. On rolling green hills, I will never forget how beautiful it is. That's where the princess grew up, in a castle, and her nickname was the Wild Rose because she was always outside wandering in the forest with the roses and the bees and deer and rabbits and squirrels and her two big St. Bernard dogs. When she was inside her castle, she loved reading and writing and feeding the birds who flew to her windowsill. Even though she grew up in a castle with balls and gowns and fine, precious things, she wrote that the most beautiful thing she has ever seen is a spider web hung with dew in the sunrise. She wrote that the real diamonds and jewels are only found in nature, and there is no fairy tale ballroom chandelier that can hold a candle to a spider's web full of dewdrops sparkling in the sunshine. Her writing reminds me how lucky I am. Though I'm not a real queen, I'm just a frog. I have all the time I need to wander in the trees with my pet dragonfly and see beautiful sights like spider webs shining in the morning sun and rivers sparkling in the valley and emerald green grass and wildflowers and butterflies. And I get to hear the music of the forest, frog song, bird song, and I have time to read and write, and I have you to listen to my stories, and that makes me feel as rich as a queen. I mean, what could be better? When the princess became queen of Romania, she moved to a new castle in another country, and she read many books and collected folk tales and wrote all sorts of fairy tales, and I'm going to read you one now. The Little People by Carmen Silva, Queen of Romania, edited and rearranged by Marlene Warfel. It was a very poor village in the Eiffel Mountains, in the poorest part of Germany where scarcely anything will grow except 
whortleberries, which the poor people gather and sell for a few pence. It is bitterly cold up there, and when the ground is hard frozen and the wind howls through the stunted fir trees, then sometimes wolves also may be heard howling there. These are bad times, when the children's hands and feet are blue with cold and their poor little empty stomachs are cold also. Once, long, long years ago, on such a winter evening as that, when the cold pierced to the marrow of one's bones and inside the houses there was no warmth to be had, so that the poor folk sat there with their teeth chattering with cold. Some of them looked at one another sadly and said, Tomorrow will be Christmas Eve, but we have no money to buy a single candle, and as for a tree, firewood is far too precious for us to afford that. The children said nothing. They only huddled closer together in the corner to try to feel a little less cold, thinking how, in better years, they had always had a tree. And even if there were only two candles and a single apple on it, still it made it feel like Christmas. But this year, there was nothing at all, nothing but cold and hunger and darkness, for they could not afford oil for the lamp. All at once, there was the sound of little sleigh bells, many, many little bells, as if hundreds sleighs were approaching, and then the trampling of horses' hooves was heard on the hard-frozen ground. The people rushed to their doors, and what did they see? Sleigh on sleigh, no bigger than children's sleighs, drawn by tiny ponies, and with a strange little man with a pointy cap sitting in each. Each of them held a little Christmas tree before him, and the whole sled was packed full of little parcels. There were warm dresses and coats and shoes and gloves, caps and hoods, all sorts of lovely things such as the poor children had never even heard of. Soon the whole village was on foot and in the street to see these wonders, but no one dreamt they could be for them. They thought the friendly little carriers were simply resting here for shelter from the approaching snowstorm on their way to the fortunate children for whom these Christmas gifts were destined. What was Therefore, their astonishment as one of the sleighs pulled up before every cottage in the whole village, and out of each stepped the little driver with his long white beard and his arms full of parcels containing the most delightful things. The next moment, the Christmas tree was lighted up, a good fire was blazing in the stove where a minute before not a spark was to be seen, and then... The kind little gnome was laying the table, putting on it such a splendid sausage and such a big loaf of bread, and the same took place in every house, only where there were more children, there was more food and more presents and more warm clothes. The clothes were as if they had been made for them, and the shoes fit perfectly, though no shoemaker had taken the measure. When the first surprise was over, the children joined hands and began to dance around the table, singing for joy, and what a delicious smell that was of something cooking in the big saucepan on the fire, and such good soup with 
bacon and cabbage and even meat in it, and there seemed to be no end to it and to all the other good things. Some of the hungry children fell at once upon the great loaves of bread. It was so long since they had seen such a good meal. And their mothers looked on in speechless happiness to see their little ones so well cared for. Some even shed tears of joy. And others turned to thank their little benefactors and to ask, Whence do you come? And who sent you to us? But when they looked around, there was nobody there. The little people were gone. The ponies also that had drawn the sleds had vanished and vanished noiselessly in spite of their bells. Only the sleds themselves were left, piled up with firewood. The little people who had come with their hands so full of gifts had quite disappeared, and it was useless to look for them, for by this time the snow was falling so fast you could not see a handbreadth in front of you. What a beautiful Christmas that was in the poor little out-of-the-way village that seemed so forgotten and forsaken by the rest of the world that its inhabitants had even lost courage to ask for help. They feasted and were merry and rejoiced in the warmth and comfort, and the children soon began to look as if they had never known want. So quickly did they profit by the good cheer. But things could not go on very long in that manner. After a time, everything began to go badly again. And these poor people who had once been happy and comfortable were quite perplexed to know what they should do to improve their condition permanently, since they felt it would be unreasonable to expect that the same marvel would repeat itself. But while they wondered helplessly what they should do, things went from bad to worse. In this extremity, some children had the brilliant idea of going in search of the little friends who had once come to their assistance and asked them to help again. They remembered quite well what the little people had looked like. They were not much taller than themselves. They had long beards and leather aprons and pointy hats on their heads. And each of them carried a lantern at his side and a hatchet stuck into his broad leather belt. Yes, they were quite, quite sure they would know them again. These three children, the only ones who had taken their eyes a minute off the Christmas tree and the presents and the good fare to look at the unknown friends who are providing all these good things. They felt rather confused when they remembered that the little people had not had a word of thanks. How then could they ask fresh favors from them? but they must make the attempt. The poor little things told themselves there was nothing else to be done. The first child was a little girl of nine called Lieschen, whose father had met with an accident out woodcutting, and it would make him helpless for weeks, perhaps months to come. The two boys, whose names were Hans and Fritzchen, were 10 and 11 years of age. All three dressed themselves in the clothes which the little people had given them, for they thought their kind friends would more easily recognize them in these, and without saying a word to anyone, for fear their parents should stop them, they set out secretly one afternoon when they were supposed to be going to school. They knew their parents had been giving them all the food they had, and going hungry themselves. 
When that evening it was found that the children did not return, nobody knew where to look for them. It was indeed a difficult matter, for the snow was falling so fast that all trace of their footsteps was lost. So the parents tried to comfort themselves by saying that in such weather the children would not wander far, but would certainly turn in at the very first shelter by the way. But they searched and searched in vain the whole night long, calling out their children's names, and when morning came, they were really alarmed. They still hoped, however, that the children must have reached the next village and would be brought back to them from there. In the meantime, the little wanderers had struggled bravely through the night. They had no money, but they felt sure of finding the little people by daybreak. So they stopped nowhere except once to ask for little milk and bread at a distant farm, telling the people there that they were sent out on an errand. What the errand was, they did not say, and they set out again at once so that there was really nothing to tell the parents when they came with their inquiries. The children had really fallen asleep in the snow by the wayside. They lay there with their little hands tightly clasped, and the snow would soon have covered them, and there would have been no chance of saving them had not the little people been on the watch. They never forget those whom they have once befriended and keep looking after them to see if their kindnesses have borne good fruit. Gnomes can't stand to see children suffer and they can see what's in children's hearts. So they lifted the cold, hungry, sleeping children without waking them and carried them away through the silent night. They took the children right down inside the mountain into their magnificent home with the promise to return them to their village if ever that was what was in their hearts. And they sent news to the children's parents to let them know that the children were safe and they would see each other again. Who can describe the delighted astonishment of the little ones when they opened their eyes and saw that they really had found their way to their kind friends? They seemed to be in an immense cavern or vaulted cave in which crowds of little people were busy at all sorts of work. For a time they lay quite still staring with wide open eyes at this new sight without speaking a word. At last Lieschen whispered very gently, Hans, Hans, are you awake or are we both sleeping still? I don't know, replied Hans in just as low a voice. Fritzchen? Fritzchen? Fritzchen rubbed his eyes. Yes, I see them too. What do you see? Our friends, whispered Lieschen. So do I, said Hans, and I see a great light besides. I see them quite well too, said Hans. All three children now sat up and the little people crowded round them, bringing them the best things to eat and drink and telling them how they had been watched over so that no harm should come to them in the snow and that their parents knew they were safe. We knew you were coming to us, they said, and we certainly would not let you be frozen on the way. Lieschen noticed how busy and hard-working all the little people were and asked if there was any work they could do so that they might not be altogether a burden to their kind friends. Bravo, my little maid, said one of the little long beards, looking at her kindly. That pleases me, 
and now you may be sure that I will find work for you, work that will give you pleasure and also be of use to you all your life long. The boys too shall learn something useful. My name is Mushroomite, and whenever you want me, you have only to call for me. You will learn all the other names in time, but there are so many you could not possibly remember them all at once. We are much obliged to you, good Mr. Mushroomite, said Lieschen. Their new friend's own special duty was the providing and preparing of mushrooms for the meals, and this he understood so well one could hardly believe what delicious dishes he invented. Even the so-called poisonous kinds he could make use of, for he had discovered a way of cooking these that took out all the poison and made them good to eat. The children had at first to accustom themselves to the strong light that lit up the immense galleries everywhere. One could not see whence it came, for there was not a lamp burning anywhere, but the light was the same in every winding passage and every angle, and work was going on in every nook and corner. Look, said Mushroomite, there are some of our people coming back with the wool the sheep have made them a present of. They just stroke gently over the good creature's coats, and if any of the wool clings to their hands, they may bring it away with them, and in return, we give the sheep herbs that make them give better milk. And what do you do with the wool? asked Lee's chin. Well, that you shall see for yourselves. Come this way. And the little man led the children to a place where there was an underground waterfall turning a mill wheel. Here are our great felt works. Hundreds of us are always employed here, rolling and beating and pressing the felt. You also shall learn how it is done. He who is at the head here and gives instructions to all the others will teach you. He is called wool gatherer, and he is more skillful at his business than anyone else. He has a way of handling the wool that makes the very poorest kind come out of his hands, soft and supple, and even in washing it his touch is something different from all the rest. There you can see some of his best workmen at work, those to whom he gives out the finest and choicest wool. They are busy making shawls and rugs and wraps of all sorts as fine and soft as Indian cashmeres or as the woolen fabrics made by the Shetland Islanders. They are as fine as spider webs and at the same time so strong they will last for years. Look how quickly they work. Have you ever seen anything like that before? The children were allowed to touch the beautiful, soft woolen fabric, and when Wool Gatherer saw their delight, he presented each of them with a complete costume of it, so light and warm and close-fitting they felt they had never known what it was to be comfortably dressed before. But the kind little Wool Gatherer did not want any thanks. He was only anxious to show the children all the wonders of his factory. He pointed out to them how the waterfall was employed to turn the mill, and how the water could be stopped when necessary, and then he took them to see the looms, thousands of shuttles at work, all flying through the air at the same time, guided by invisible hands. Mushroomite whispered to them that all this was their guide's own invention. We are very proud of him, he said, and in the other mountains they quite envy us his cleverness. Are there any other little people like you in all the other mountains, asked Hans. 
Yes, in all. But there is quite different work going on in each. Sometimes we tell men in their sleep of the wonderful things we make, and when they wake, they invent something before which the whole world stands lost in admiration. But we laugh to ourselves, for we know where they learned it. So many things we know here long, long before they reach the outside world. But now, children, come along, for there is so much for you to see before bedtime. But you, when do you sleep? asked the children. We never require sleep ourselves. We are so small, there is less wear and tear of our bodies. And then we have such refreshing springs that if we are a little tired, we have but to bathe in one of them. And all our fatigue is gone and we are well and strong again. But that is all. We never rest. For what would become of the world if the work going on inside it were suddenly at a standstill? It is we who keep up the great fires inside the earth, so that the hot springs may always come huddling to the surface for the use of human beings, and so as to supply them with all sorts of things they stand in need of. We are as old as the rocks here, and we shall last as long as the earth itself. We are neither young nor old, we are a part of the mountain. We belong to it, just like the crystals and precious stones hidden in its sides. Would you like to see our treasure house? As he spoke these words, Mushroomite led the astonished children through narrow passages, hardly high enough for them to stand upright in, till they reached a small grotto where he pushed aside a rock and suddenly... They were astonished by a strong light that came from an immense pile of jewels sparkling and shining, as if each one had a light inside. Fritzchen opened his eyes very wide. Have you gold, too? he asked. The gnome smiled. Gold? Why, our walls are in great part gold and the further down into the earth one goes the more gold is to be found the center of the earth is made entirely of gold then i shall be a miner exclaimed fritzchen mushroomite looked at him half pityingly half contemptuously and pushed the rock back again in its place so that there was no trace of where the opening had been nobody can find the way here alone he said and if he did succeed in finding it the earth would at once fall in upon him so that he would never find his way out again alive. We may only let as much of our gold and precious stones be taken out as is good and useful for mankind. If you did but know what it is like in the gold diggings, you would rather stay here all your lives with us. There are better things here and much more necessary than gold. Down here, are all the buried forests which we once knew in their glory and which we have turned into coal fields and take care of for men. And men prize that which they call coal even more than gold. For one can live without gold, but it is impossible to live without warmth. This the children could understand quite well, for they had so often suffered from the cold. It seemed to them quite natural to value coal more highly than gold. Only Fritzchen felt an uncomfortable burning sensation at his heart, but did not know that it was the greed of gold that had been aroused there. It was quite well known, however, to their little friend, and he led them back in a roundabout way so there could be no possibility of their finding the grotto again. If 
only I had those jewels, thought Fritzchen. I should be rich and never required to work. But as if the gnome had read his thoughts, the answer came, we must never let men have too much of our riches at a time, or else they would lose all their happiness and not know why. Work suits us, and it is why we are happy. We never run out of it. We don't have time to ask ourselves if perhaps anything else might please us better. We work and work and live together in harmony, and the time never hangs heavy on our hands. Very often we go up into the forests in the daylight or watch the elves dancing by moonlight in the fields and meadows. We often make them a present of the finest tissues we spin, and in return they give us flower cups filled with dew. And we make good use of these, for nothing is lost with us. Everything is turned to some useful purpose. Talking thus, they arrived at a big vaulted chamber, bigger than any of the children had been in before, where such a tremendous noise was going on, it made them feel quite dizzy. It was as if a hundred thousand forges were smoking and glowing and puffing and panting and roaring at the same time. Whichever way one looked, bars of red-hot iron were being hammered, but chiefly by invisible hands, whilst the little people only stood by giving orders. The children looked on whilst the most beautiful objects were being made from the wrought iron, and so quickly one could hardly follow with one's eyes what was being done. Hans was enraptured. He did not want to move from the spot. He insisted he must become a smith so that he might make just such lovely things. Mushroomite saw what he was thinking, just as he had guessed Fritzchen's thoughts, but this time he made no remark. He only explained to the children that the mountains inside which the little people have their furnaces and forges are called by human beings burning mountains and volcanoes, and because men cannot look down into these and see what is going on, they do not know that the lava is nothing but the refuse, the dross from their workshops, out of which nothing can be made. But it happens very rarely, he continued, that even this is thrown away. Many immense subterranean buildings, larger and more elaborately decorated than any above ground, are constructed entirely out of dross from our metalworks. Our buildings prop and sustain the mountains, which might otherwise slip and tumble in. But now... We must tear ourselves away from here and see there is our chief upholsterer called Featherfloss coming this way. He will take you to the little rooms prepared for you, for we have decided, dear children, to keep you with us and teach you all we can here as we know it is your heart's desire. And when you have learned all you require, then you may go back to the upper world and found a little village for yourselves and be as contented as we are. So saying, Mushroomite handed the children over to their new friend, who had a kind, funny little face, and who told them, smiling, that while they were sleeping outside in the snow, he had made ready some pretty little rooms for them, where they would sleep much better still. And he went on smiling as he pushed open a little door in the rock, and then another saying, here is the little girl's bedroom, and here is one for the little boys. And what dear little rooms they were. Lieschen peeped into hers and saw the prettiest little bed with soft white blankets and a down quilt warmer and lighter still spread over it. 
A little lamp hung on the wall that would go out of its own accord, Featherflask told her, as soon as she was asleep, and would light itself again in the morning to wake her. There was also a bath sunk into the ground, all bright and shining and full of clear, sparkling water, and a bureau in the wall in which to keep her clothes and a little stool to sit upon, and the dearest little work table fitted up with everything she could possibly want. The boys had a nice little room also, but there was no bath in it. They would have to go and bathe outside where the little people took their bath. By this time, the children were so tired with all they had seen and done that day, they were glad to get into their pretty little beds, and very soon all three were fast asleep. That was a good, sound sleep, and when they woke from it next morning, they were ready and anxious to set to work. So the little people took them with them, Hans to the forge, that he might learn to become a smith, and Fritzchen among the miners, while Lieschen went with the weavers to be taught their craft. At first, they were all three very awkward, but their friends were very patient with them, and only laughed good-humouredly at their mistakes, and showed them over and over again what they had to do. But Fritzchen very soon tired of the work he had been set to. It did not seem to him at all amusing to spend his time among the coals. He had quite different ideas in his head when he talked of being a miner, and he was rather sorry now that he had mentioned it at all. Again, his thoughts ran back to the precious stones he had seen, and he began to wonder if he could not find his way to them and fill his pockets with the little people's gold and then make his escape from the mountain. But gnomes know what is in the hearts of children, so as he made his way through the darkest, most confusing parts of the caverns, almost to the opening in the rock, little people stopped him. They could see he was not himself and overcome with a kind of fever some people can get from gold. So they brought him back and gave him a medicine to bring down the fever until he was himself again. He was ashamed then to think that the good little people knew he planned to steal from them and that they weren't angry and forgave him anyway. They were so good. Mushroomite said, We saw that you were on the way to yield to an ugly temptation, so we stopped you in time and have given you something to remember it by. Now go back to your coal mine. It was what you chose for yourself and learn all that there is to be learned there. Later on, we will find something more interesting for you to learn. I should like to see the daylight in the sun, said Fritzchen, somewhat pitifully, for he felt rather small. The other children had the same wish too, so their kind little friend took them all three with him the very next time he went up into the woods to gather mushrooms. It certainly was delightful to be in the fresh air and the daylight once more and to see the green trees, but the children were quite content to go down inside the mountain again. They were so well cared for there and they could learn so much. Time passed so rapidly the children were quite unconscious of it themselves. The children grew into tall youths active and skillful. They had learned weaving and tailoring and carriage building cabinet making and carpentry and all sorts of useful things. Then one day the little people could see that not only had the children's bodies changed but their hearts had too. They longed to be in the fresh air and sunshine and to see their parents again and live with others of their kind. Children 
They said, you have stayed here long enough and learned all you can from us. Now go back into the world and make homes for yourselves. We will help you do it. You will feel that you always have us with you for your friends. The young people were touched by so much kindness and thanked their friends with tears in their eyes. But they did not think they ought to go away like this as soon as they'd become good workers, but ought rather to stay and show their gratitude. There is no need to speak of gratitude, said their little friends. We know that you are grateful, nor do we require that you should stay here to work for us. Go out into the world and teach others what you have learned from us, and we shall be rewarded. Hans and Lieschen and Fritzchen had learned so many things from the little people in the mountain. They built themselves the prettiest stone houses on the mountain slope beneath which they had lived and worked so long, and their parents came down the mountain to live near them, and they all lived well and prospered. Lieschen wove cloth, Fritzchen smithed things in his forge, and Hans built the best furniture and cabinets. Soon they had families of their own and happy, well-fed children who were always warm. A beautiful town full of stone houses and shops full of finely made things grew around them. They taught their parents and their children to do the many things Mushroomite and the other little people had taught them how to do. But all children are not so teachable as those first three, and some gave so much trouble the little people have nowadays quite given up adopting any. They think that human beings must now be satisfied with what has already been done for them, and they do not try to repeat the experiment that was once so successful, as they are aware things seldom turn out so well a second time. And then so much happens in the world above to shock and horrify them that they think they would rather keep inside their mountains in the future. There it is always peaceful and happy, and they shake their wise little heads over the dreadful things the poor sun must shine upon. Lieschen, Fritzchen, and Hans grew old and gray, while snow change passed over the little people. But the human beings, as they advanced in age, had their children and their children's children to take their place. Most of those who are now living in the little town at the base of the mountain have forgotten from whom their good fortune first came. But the little people have not forgotten them, and very often the children wake to find their chores done for them, and they wonder who can have helped them, and then the great-grandfather tells them of the mountain and of its inhabitants and says with a smile, who knows if the little people have not come to look after you. But modern children think they know everything. There are no secrets for them, and as their schoolmaster has never told them that there are people living inside the mountains, they do not believe it. But the great-grandfather smiles to himself, for he knows better.